Hi, uh, Spurs people out there. This is Steve Perriman on the Steve Perriman podcast. Thank you for, as ever, tuning in. Um, thank you for your time. On the face of it, this is um, a sort of nothing to talk about week because, as I explained earlier, um, these podcasts are going to be based around the league program. And we all know that there's no league game this weekend because of international duties but then all, uh, all of a sudden things start to um, start to unfold and for instance Chrissy Hewton gets the Nottingham Forest job uh, I'm delighted for him he's one of the nicest people I know in the game very professional man it started off with Ozzy appointing him as the reserve manager when when myself and Ozzy were, were there. So I'm delighted for him. It's a long way to go, but it's a great club, Nottingham. And I'm going to, you know, with being retired, I'm going to make sure that I try to um, to get up there and support him at his home, a home game in future if we're ever allowed back in. And uh, it'd be a pleasure to go and see him. And, and hopefully when I visit, um, he gets a win for, the, for that club. Any thoughts, Howard, on Chrissy Hewton? I think Chrissy Hewton was a very good player for us. And what, what, what the facts and the figures don't say is that he was a very popular man in football and one of the game's true gentlemen. There aren't many of those around. Well, yes, I, I agree with that. Keith Birkinshaw tells me, hopefully not privately, otherwise I've let something out. One of his main assets as manager of, of the, you know, the successful team of the 80s, that he had two, two reliable fullbacks that very rarely missed games. One being Chris Hewton at left back and myself being at right back. So, so um, very consistent. There's, there's been a consistency of performance and decision-making uh, with Chrissy throughout his, his you know, as, even as a young player um, and on into management. So, uh, yeah, delighted that, um, that he's got a new job and wish him well. Uh, talking about a nice man, um, it brings up the Man United performance and what a performance that was. Uh, I spent with my wife, spent four or five days at Howard's house with, with Vivian, and we watched that game together. Um, Howard, please tell me what your quote to me was after one minute when Man United were given and scored a penalty. I think I said that if it had been the other way around, I'd be very worried. But as looked from that way around, I was thinking oh, this could be disastrous. Yeah, so what you're saying is with the experience of being a Spurs supporter, if you if Spurs got a goal up too early, it made you worried and nervous. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I know that feeling. But but coming on to the 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 niceness of Chrissy Hewton and stuff, um, um 
Norman Giller has made some comments on on various sort of websites and stuff about um, if he was the manager, he would be very disappointed in in the way that we um, the Man United player got sent off. All I can say about that is, and you you probably have an opinion on it, Howard. If that if that was a Tottenham player got sent off in those circumstances, I would be sort of disgusted with the opponent. And therefore, I can't have it both ways. I can't say, well, I'd be disgusted if it was against us. But the fact it was for us, I'm going to go quiet on it. Any, any comments, Howard, on that? Well, I think we all do basically what we have to do if the manager's so important for them so you get situations like this on Sunday where Solskjaer after the game said he would he basically said how awful Lamella was but mm-hmm. I don't think it's his business to deal with that I think if, if he felt like he should talk to Mourinho about it but Mourinho doesn't cover himself in glory either because he gave interviews saying they should have been down to eight players anyway well yeah, I think looking at it, um, I know what it's like to be a manager and be interviewed on TV after games and stuff. I think if I'd have been the Man United manager um, and his team, my team, had done the actions of some of his players, I absolutely would have left out talking about the opponents. Yeah, uh, as disappointed as I would have been with it, the, the the circumstances, I would have left it alone because you know my own players would have done as bad things as such. Um, taking it just as as an incident, um, I think Norman Giller was saying basically play fair. Yeah. The history of Tottenham Hotspur managers is play fair. And I, I'd just like to say that does not mean, and I don't he's meaning, play soft or play weak. I think play fair is play tough. And the way that I would have played tough was make sure you go for the ball. By tackling for the ball, of course, you're going to have the odd time where you miss time a tackle. But but play, play tough by going for the ball. Bruise the ball with your tackling. Bruise the ball because that way you're going to make sure you're successful in the tackle. And, um, and of course, people can say incidents in my career of particularly Real Madrid away when I got sent off, when I did not tackle for the ball, I actually tackled for the, the player's neck. And that was because very early in that game, he'd, um, he'd got me down the Achilles and, and that set off some, some alarm bells in my head. And um, when I decided that, that that game was not quite what it should be from a refereeing point of view and doubted the, um, the legality of what his decisions... Um, then I decided that this player, who turned out to be Ozzy's friend, an Argentinian international, Valdana, um, I decided he needed to have it. Stupid, I know, but uh, that's what does happen in games. But 
I would like to think through my career, I've played fair, but played tough. And I think that's how. And, and of course, you've got uh, our managers, Mourinho's comment of he wants people to be, yeah. did he use the word bastards? Yeah, yeah but clever bastards. And um, I, I think that's tough. Be a, be a tough bastard, actually. So don't take any nonsense from opponents. And um, But you've got to play within the rules. Otherwise, you do go down to 10 men, and we know how difficult that, that is when you're, when you're playing in any game, let alone big games. So um, within mentioning Christy Hooten, good man, and, and uh, the incident at Man United, it brings me on to Barry Danes. Barry Danes was a, a colleague of mine at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, he's not been well um, on Facebook. People may have read that I mentioned that he'd, he'd had a number of strokes, which has left him very, very weak and in, not in a good situation. And his wife, lovely wife, has been looking after him and he's, he's had various terms in, in the hospital. So we certainly wish him well. Um, whenever I speak about Barry Danes, because he joined the same year as me, people tend um, to talk about me as being loyal. And of course, that's with regard to 19 years and a lot of games, getting in early and that sort of stuff. But I always regard Barry Danes as being more loyal than me. And if you want that uh, explained... It's because Steve Perriman got in as a 17-year-old. Uh, what have I got to be disloyal about? I was, I was left in the team, mostly. So no reason to want to go anywhere else. Um, Barry Danes probably did not get the position of goalkeeper his own until probably his mid-20s. And that's the problem when you only play one position, i.e. a goalkeeper, and you are behind one of the best goalkeepers in the world, the great Pat Jennings. And ironically, Barry Danes joined Tottenham Hotspur. He's from Essex, sort of countryside Essex. And his big choices were between West Ham and Spurs, like it was for me. And he actually decided on Spurs because West Ham had two England youth goalkeepers. One was called, I think, Peter Grotier, and one was called Steve Diath, spelt death, Diath. And they also had a world record uh, fee paid uh, for a Scottish goalkeeper. In my memory tells me it's something Ferguson. So Barry actually decided to come to Spurs because of... <laughs> not so many players to get past. Well, guess what? He picked He picked one of the top two or three goalkeepers in the world. And therefore, he didn't get his chance early enough. When he came in, he always, he never let us down. Uh, I saw on YouTube the other day a, a fine victory at Man United. John Pratt came on as a sub and scored. We were 2-0 down. We eventually won the game 3-2. Uh, in our in our week spell, I think, and Barry Danes was 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 um, 
playing instead of Pat. Pat must have been injured, which rarely happened. And being 2-0 down at our half time, I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Barry Danes, we'd have been seven or eight down. And um, so we wish him well. And um, I'm sending Barry this the tape of this podcast because um, uh, he's got problems seeing things at the moment because of one of these uh, latest strokes he's had, but he can listen. So, um, Barry, we, we all wish you well and thank you for the service Absolutely. that you gave to the, to the wonderful Tottenham Hotspur. Any, any, any recollections of Barry Howard from a supporter's point of view? I think um, was it the year we relegated. He had a lot of games because Pat was injured for one season. Yes, that was that was Pat's main injury season. Yes. And it could well have been one of the reasons why we went down, you know, for the for the loss of Pat in so many games. But, uh, Barry did a good job that season. I, I don't, certainly don't recall blaming him for any of the goals. No, I think I can remember one error at, um, at Mansfield in a, a quagmire of a pitch and uh, a back pass to him. And he sort of slashed it and missed it. And they they... I think they scored the third goal and Glenn eventually got us out of jail with a fantastic free kick right at the end. But, uh, but in general, Barry did, you know, served, served us well. So uh, thank you for that, Barry, and good luck to you. It brings me on to another uh, goalkeeping story. Um, people may remember this name, maybe not, but Bill Nicholson in my early days, when we won the League Cup, uh, my first trophy, for instance, and therefore we qualified for the UEFA Cup. Um, Bill thought Barry Danes was a bit too young to be uh, called upon if Pat had injuries and therefore went out and signed Ken Hancock. I think Ken from Ipswich Town. Ken was about 40 years of age at the time and a trusted pro Lots of experience, uh, but of course, of course, very near to the end of his of his career, and would have been a great chance for him to play for Tottenham Hotspur. and And it reminds me of the story of one of his. It may not have been his first day, but certainly his first few days training at Chesant. Bill Nicholson or Eddie Bailey decided to play eleven v eleven, probably to get Ken used to playing with various players and defenders that he wouldn't have known at that point. And within the game, after about 20 minutes, ball comes to Jimmy Greaves and Jimmy side foots it, a strong side foot from about 22 yards. And Ken Hancock on his first First few days training, obviously looking to impress everyone that he's going to be good enough to be Pat's deputy. Um, shouts, as goalkeepers do in those days, away! Meaning the ball's going wide. Well, guess what? This is Jimmy Greaves shooting at you. And Jimmy Greaves passes the ball into the corner of the net and it ended up in the net. So... You can imagine how embarrassed Ken was to put his name on a ball that a shot that he thought was going wide that ends up nestling in the in the back of the net. So footballers being footballers from that moment on for the rest of the season, because he signed for one season, 
Ken Hancock was called away Ken. And um, we'd never let him forget that moment. Howard, I've mentioned Jimmy Greaves there. Um, you've got um, part of your, your job today is to give us some words about Jimmy. So go and fire away. Well, um, first thing I want to do is go back to the season 1969-70. That season, we were a mid-table side all year long. We brought a player from Scum in that, sorry, Arsenal, in that part exchange. Note to all managers, do not do business with them. Almost every time Spurs end up with the worst side of the deal. In this case, our Jimmy Robertson was exchanged for their David Jenkins. I thought Robertson was a good winger and had been a very key member of the FA Cup winning team of 67. Absolutely. The deal came about very quickly, and the little I saw of Jenkins, I thought he was the worst player I'd ever seen in a Spurs shirt. He couldn't get into the team, but finally started against Everton in the midweek game, which I think you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, actually. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, Jenkins played in midfield, made a couple of decent passes when the lights went out. There were loudspeakers asking the crowd to be patient when eventually the lights came back on just after the crowd left. Hearing last of the matches played by David Jenkins. More especially at the turn of the year 1970, we played Derby on the 10th of January, winning 2 1 with goals from Roger Morgan and Jimmy Green. I think that might have been a header, Howard. It was, quite right. I think that was a header. So yeah. when I spoke last week about finding uh, Ozzy's head in a, a crowded box, you know, what's the chances of that happening? Uh, and him scoring the goal with his head. Um, I think it was Jimmy Pierce that crossed that ball for Jimmy to head in. Good be. But a very good goal. We were, we were now relying on the FA Cup as our only possibility of silverware. We met Bristol Palace at home on the 21st of January. Our pitch around this time was terrible. Badly cut up and it made for great trouble passing on the ground. It was also a very cold day which added to the pitch problems. Although Palace were a top division team, the media still called this a possible giant killing. It ended as a very poor nil-nil. The replay on 28th of January ended up with us being losing 1-0. Bill Nick was furious and made wholesale changes to the team for our next match at home to Leeds. He eventually took off Stevie Barrowman, which seemed strange as clearly as Stevie was there for the future. Thank you, Howard. Billy, Billy Nick explained that decision was to protect Steve getting too drawn to the poor performance and attitude of the senior players. Those dropped included Jimmy Greaves. Decisions were taken quickly and before anyone knew he was sold to West Ham. He had just turned 30 so in theory had plenty of time to score plenty more goals. Who knows how things might have been had he not been sold so, so suddenly. The first match of the 1970 season saw Spurs drawn at home to play at West Ham. Jimmy scored the first goal of the match, and I stood in honour of my idol, Jimmy Green. The only time I've ever stood up and applauded with it when the other side has scored. Well, Howard, that's fair play that you applauded that goal. Because if you appreciate a player in a Spurs shirt, I don't care who it is, but someone as great as, you know, the service that Jimmy Greaves gave, then, you know, you don't stop liking him because he's playing for someone else, surely. That, yeah that doesn't happen yeah looking back as a young player at that Bill Nicholson did make the quote that he left me out um, he didn't want me to get tired 
Um, so he was giving me a break. And um, it was a very disappointing pair of games, those Crystal Palace games. And uh, you, you were right. Bill Nicholson was absolutely fuming. So, um, yeah, six of us left out the, the next game and stuff. But, you know, I, I still, I, I, it was an honour to play with Jimmy Greaves. Only for six months, it was an honour. And I always use this term about Jimmy Greaves. Jimmy Greaves was a professional goal scorer. And what I mean by that is, you know, think about how your, your appreciation goes up and your expectancy goes up when, when Harry Kane gets near the goal in these times. Yeah. Well, it was even, it was as much, if not more, with Jimmy Greaves because whatever the situation, you felt Jimmy Greaves was going to threaten their goal in some way. And he very rarely missed the target. I mean, of course, goalkeepers made saves from him. That's what they're there for. But that's why I say he was a professional goal scorer. The, the, the closer he got to the goal and to the action of putting the ball in the net, the calmer he became. And I think that shows true belief in your ability. And if, and if there's anything to compare between Jimmy Greaves and, and, and Harry, it's that belief in their technique, albeit different, the two of them, uh, what they have in their bodies and their shape and, and their pace or, or, or otherwise, their balance. Um, but it's a pure belief in their, their, their ability to, to take the, the chance. And if they miss, if they don't score, if the goalkeeper saves it, then that confidence is not shattered and that belief is not shattered and they're they're very ready for the next one thank there you is, for that howard just said when jimmy was when jimmy did miss a goal, a goal a good chance if you look at him he lifts his boot each one as if something wrong with the boots as opposed to him how <laughs> Yeah, with the belief that he had in himself, it couldn't have been his ability. It must have been something else, the pitch okay. or whatever. So um, I, I repeat the words. It was an honour to play with Jimmy Greaves, albeit for only six months. So a couple of other topics that have come up um, on the great day where we beat Man United um, by the scoreline that we did. Don't need reminding of that. We also then were aware of, of Aston Villa beating Liverpool. Um, a player that I had a lot to do with his development was this lad called Ollie Watkins, who left us from Exeter to join Brentford uh, for £1.8 million and then scored a lot of goals in the Championship last year and then went on to sign for Aston Villa. And guess what? He scored three live on telly against Liverpool and the fourth one, nearly the fourth one, hit the bar. So what a what a early game that would have been in this young lad's career. Uh, very, very nice guy. Um, we mentioned Chrissy being good and nice and Barry Danes as well. Ken Hancock was actually a nice chap as well. But Ollie's a, a good young man. Uh, the history of him at Exeter, and, and we pride ourselves down here on, on producing young players, local. 
He was in a development center closer to Torquay area than to Exeter. And uh, of course, it's up to those coaches of these, those development groups to, to put forward any talent that they think are better than that. And uh, Ollie Watkins got put up and came therefore to the, to the Exeter City main training for schoolboys. Um, he was turned away, um, sent back to the development centre. That was about nine years of age. He came back a year later and the club felt he'd improved enough to then make him one of the main group of schoolboys. And then later at 16, joined the club uh, as a YTS player, eventually broke into our team and um, did very good things for us. He was an exciting player for the crowd to watch. Remember, it's a different game down there in Division 2. Um, but when he did go to Brentford, I wasn't surprised how well he did. So the reason for telling you this is there is a Tottenham aspect to this because um, Tottenham, through David Pleat, were very, very close to signing him from Exeter City for the 1.8 million. David Pleat was, I would have to say, not happy that the club didn't follow through and take him. And what, what made the difference was Oli had a, a very disappointing playoff final at Wembley. And I think Poch went against him on that one performance. I wasn't, despite being a Tottenham man, I wasn't so disappointed that that was their decision because it meant it went to Brentford. And I thought Brentford was a more realistic team for him to join at his stage, at his development stage. And I think that was proven right. The fact that he, he settled in quickly and he scored goals and he became a, a sort of definite starter for, for Brentford. And all young players need a run of games, whichever team, whichever level, you need a run of games to show what you can do. And, and um, Exeter did really well out of it. I told you the fee, 1.8 million. Um, since Brentford sold him with a 15% sell-on to, to Aston Villa, um, they've gained probably another couple of million out of the sell-on. So you can imagine how how useful that money is at a time like this with you know, supporters not being allowed in to watch and stuff. And I have to tell you that um, I did have a conversation with Mr. Mourinho, who was very um, respectful to me as an ex-Spurs player, uh, having had the career that I've had. And he asked me my opinion about Oli and I told him exactly what I thought. And um, of course, we know that Spurs didn't follow through with that and, and they've signed other players and, you know, what good signings they have made. We haven't seen the new centre forward yet, of course, but uh, we're all expecting good things. So, again, it may not be such a bad thing that, um, that Spurs went against Oli uh, on a second occasion, um, but... You know, what he showed us against Liverpool was that he was well worth the club's consideration. And who knows, maybe we'll get him next time and um, an Exeter City can, can earn a few more pounds, shillings and pence out of his next move. 
So um, coming to the end, uh, thank you, Howard. Um, thank you, Tom, again for doing the, the official stuff of this podcast. Um, I'm just going to leave you with one thought of mine. Um, I wonder what you all think as supporters about players scoring a goal and going on their knees, sliding knees in terms of a celebration. I, I don't hate it, but I worry so much about the player getting injured. Now, I know when you score a goal, you're high and you want to show your delight. And maybe your body can cope with more at that particular time of you being so elated. You'd probably jump a bit higher if that was going to be your celebration and punch the air. You'd jump a bit higher than normally you can. Or whatever you do, you know, when people do these backflips and flip overs and stuff. Again, there's more spring in your legs when you've just scored. But I worry about players getting injured. And um, I think if I was a manager these days, might be, I might be judged as a killjoy. But I, I, I would actually ban it. I wouldn't allow players to do it. And, um, yeah, that might be me nitpicking. But can you imagine how a player like Harry... Harry Kane, how important he is to the team that he's fit and well. You would just hope that if he's going to get injured, it's a football injury and hopefully he doesn't get injured. But if he does get injured, it wouldn't be just doing some sort of celebration in the elation of, 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 of what you've just done. So I, I do wonder what you all think about that. Do you see it as part of the game now, the celebration after goals? Um, I know I didn't score very often, but I was more, probably for that reason, I was more embarrassed than anything to do <laughs> to do any sort of celebration jig or punch or whatever. But, um, but yeah, so thank you for listening. I did hear, um, I very rarely listen to talk sport um, radio um, for, for no other reason that just I, I don't really listen to the radio but I was on a on a journey back the other day and of course it was um, deadline day so why not listen to the radio and listen to what might be happening perhaps Spurs are going to sign some more players I was actually on on the way home from your house Howard where we'd had a, a you know four or five really really nice days and you know instead of being stir crazy in this hotel down here in Exmouth waiting to go to our new house probably in about two or three weeks time um so yeah had some great days with you and um turn the radio on and um the ex-chairman owner of Crystal Palace was talking I was very impressed with him and he he mentioned a word that I'd never heard before in in terms of a football team and uh, they were discussing the demise of, of Manchester United because of the defeat against our team. And he made the quote that Man United have not got enough self-starters. And I think he was suggesting that maybe the lack of a crowd, um, that we're all different players, I wasn't a particular player that needed anyone to start me. I could start myself off. 
And I know that, you know, I wasn't as good a player at doing this, that or the other of other players, but I definitely could start my own engine off um, in, into a game. And when you've got self-starters, then those self-starters help other players start. And maybe, maybe Man United uh, the other day, and maybe I could aim the same thing at Tottenham against Everton in the first game. Perhaps it was the lack of a crowd. Um, you know, when you're playing poorly, okay, call it criticism, call it not abuse, that's not right. But uh, you need the feeling of the crowd to get behind you and good crowds lift you. Uh, you lift your performance as an individual. And um, so self-starter, it's something that I'm going to think about in future because, um, you know, you'd have to say Tottenham signings have been good. The, the player from Southampton looks like he's a Steve Perriman type of player. I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying a, a, my type of player being a consistent body in midfield and being a self-starter that can get other players at it. And, and you know, possibly in the last few years with the name of Spursy being aimed at our club, then um, perhaps we lacked a self-starter or two as well. Um, I definitely like the the left back, the new left back. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was urgent. He he wanted to use the ball quick. Uh, he recovered quick to goal. When the ball was closer to our goal than him, he showed an urgency to get back and recover a position. So lots of good things. But you know what particularly pleased me, Howard? It was the quick free kick that Harry Kane yeah. took yeah. to Son to go and score. And that was quick thinking. It was two players with the same purpose, the same plan, who recognised that that could be taken quick. And I harp back to the time when home game against somebody, when the, the ball boy got the ball back quickly to the Tottenham player to take the throw in that created a goal. So perhaps... You know, perhaps players can learn from everyone around them, even ball boys. Um, but those two players certainly learned from something to take that quick free kick. And Bill Nick used to say, when the ball goes dead, you come alive. And he was probably talking about throw-ins and, and, you know, goal kicks and stuff like that. Don't, don't drop your head and start looking at the floor come alive because very soon you're going to be called into action. And um, Graham Souness said on television the other day, and I knew he said some things that Tottenham supporters won't like, but he also said that, that Paisley's message, and I've used it before on one of these earlier podcasts, when the ball goes dead, identify the dope in the other team because the dope goes asleep. And if you're alive and if you're awake and you're alert, then there's a space to be had. There's a chance to be had. And um, that's certainly what, uh, what Harry Kane did on the day. So um, 
I'll leave you there. Uh, thank you very much again, all of you. Thanks for listening. And um, we'll speak to you next week and be talking about the West Ham game. Uh, Howard's already mentioned it with uh, Jimmy Greaves playing against us, getting a 2-2 in his first game, having left us. But I'm sure there's lots more good stuff to talk about when we talk about Tottenham versus West Ham. So... Have a good weekend, have a good rest from worrying about the Spurs results and um, speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, Howard. Bye.